Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This week we're going to be continuing our our little mini-series on the book of Judges, looking at the story of Gideon. And Gideon really is an incredible case study when we talk about this topic of identity. Identity is something that I have spoken about many times because I really don't think there are many things that are more important to discuss than understanding who we are in Christ. There are so many competing things. There are so many different voices in our world, in our communities, in our lives, our our own past that wants to speak to and tell us who we are, to tell us who our identity is and, and, and who we're supposed to be. But if we are ever going to become and to accomplish what God has made possible for us, we have to know who he is and we have to know who he's made us to be. And last week when we looked at this story of Gideon, we said this statement that is really, I think, really an important foundational piece, is that the way that God sees us and his identity for our lives is not based off of our circumstances. It's not based off of where we currently find ourselves. Is there anyone else besides me that looks around at times and gets a little frustrated and gets a little bit overwhelmed and starts to think differently about themselves based off of what is in front of them? Nobody? Okay. There, there are these times where we look around and we see the circumstance and the trial and we start to question who we are instead of recognizing that what God has spoken is not predicated on our circumstances and what we see around us because he spoke that word before we ever even took our first breath here on earth. So it can't be based off of the limited things we see here because he spoke it from heaven. And we have to remember this. And the second thing that we said last week is that we have to be willing to put our idols on trial. We have to ask this question, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for me? The things that I have continued to go back to for comfort, for provision, to make sense of these things, how are those things serving us? Because generally speaking, we end up serving those things. And we got to start to question, what are these things really doing for me? And is it time to tear down the idols? This morning, we're going to continue in this story of Gideon and looking at identity. And, and the name of this message might be a little bit lengthy, but I entitled it, The Journey to Who We Are Meant to Be. Not so bad? Okay. The Journey to Who We Are Meant to Be. Because when we're looking at this topic of identity, one thing that we really do have to to make sure that we're looking at is that this is a process and this is a journey. And sometimes we, we look around at life and we feel like we should be a lot farther ahead than we currently are. And because of that, we, we start to resign ourselves to a lesser identity to a lesser reality because we feel like, well, this person is doing this thing and and that person has been elevated to this position and look what they've accomplished. And so I don't really know if I'm going to be able to do anything because I feel so far behind. I, I feel like I should already be prepared and equipped for what God's calling me to walk into. But this is a journey and it's a process and it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen the moment we say yes to Jesus as incredible as that moment is when our spirit is redeemed. We have a body, 
we have a mind and a will and emotions that really need to catch up, right? There's a process that we go through. And we see this so clearly in the life of Gideon. God shows up to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And he addresses him in verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon is hiding in a wine press, does not feel like a mighty man of valor. And I don't even know if he fully hears the words that are being spoken to him. Because he doesn't even respond to those words. He doesn't even say anything about what God has said. He just says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? God, where are you? I don't even think the words that God is speaking to him are even registering at that time. But he's in a process. That, that was like the initial step. But then God goes on to say to him, I want to send you in the might of yours. Go in this might of yours. And once again, Gideon's like, I don't have any might. I am part of the least tribe or or the smallest tribe and the weakest tribe, and I am the least of my tribe. Gideon does not see himself as having any might or any ability in this moment. But there is a moment where we start to see things shift. And it's the moment where God speaks something very specific to Gideon. He says, but I am going to be with you. But I am going to go with you. And this is what starts to change things for Gideon. Because although he couldn't see his own ability, he didn't know his own identity. He didn't see himself as something special. As soon as he started to look at who God was, it started to change his perception. Maybe I'm not able to do this thing, but if I'm going forward with God, okay, maybe I can start to grab a hold of this a little bit. Maybe there is something here that I actually can start to do. And it's at this moment that God is giving Gideon permission to dream again. Gideon asked the question, God, where have you been? There is some level, there's some part of Gideon that had been looking for God. He had been wondering where this God was that his, that his ancestors had walked with and, and had led them out of Israel. There was a part of him that had shut down because of the circumstances of life. But when God said, I am with you, it started to open his eyes once again. And there was a response from Gideon. He goes and he gets the sacrifice and he brings it before the Lord. And the Lord brings the fire to his sacrifice. And then as we said last week, there was also an act of obedience. He goes and he pulls down the altar of Baal and he creates an altar to the Lord. There's a shift that is taking place. But once again, he's very much still on a journey. He still isn't in this place where he thinks he's a mighty man of valor. We know this part of the story as well. Judges 6 verses 36 to 40. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it's dry in all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew dry from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. He then says, okay, God, please don't be mad at me. But, but can, we do, can we do another test, just one more? All right, tonight I want you to to make the whole ground wet with dew, but not my fleece. And God says, okay, very well, we'll we'll do this. 
It's kind of a silly test. I don't know where he came up with this. I don't know if there's more significance to it. But God says, all right, I know you're in process. I know you're in a journey. And for me, when I look at this story, I start to look at Gideon and I start to feel like, man, God himself showed up to you. Why do you need a fleece? Like, like God himself showed up to you, and when you brought the altar before him, he touched it with his staff, and fire came out of a rock. And you're still like, hmm, I'm not so sure. But before we get too judgmental about him, first of all, we can think back to our own lives when God's called us to do something. I reference this every once in a while, but like, we, we feel like we're supposed to go pray for that person. And we're like, well, God, if they walk over to me and somehow randomly ask me for prayer and, 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 and they say that they've been praying and fasting themselves, then maybe I'll, I'll say yes. But like if this perfect circumstance comes to be where they just happen to come into my life, then God, I, I got you. I'm going to do exactly what you called me to do. But the other thing is Gideon is about to step into a battle against an army that cannot be counted. He's about to go into battle with a country behind him who are still hiding in the caves and the rocks. I think we can cut him a little slack. Like, he doesn't think anything of himself. He has no military ability. And the people around him are not really inspiring much confidence either. So we can give him a little bit of slack here. But this is pretty cool for us to see because even on the brink of one of the greatest military exploits in human history... We see that the leader of this, Gideon, is not so sure. Does that give us a little confidence? Like, we know the end of this story, right? We know how this goes. But even on the brink of this, Gideon's like, I don't know about this. He's still on a journey of faith. This morning, I want us to give ourselves permission to realize that we are on a journey of faith. That we may not be where we want to be yet, or even where we think that we should be yet, but we are on a journey that as we trust God, step after step after step, that he's the one responsible to bring us into this place, to be able to see his good work in our life. We are on a journey of faith, and this is what Gideon was in the middle of. Very often we disqualify ourselves based off of things that people have said, based off of past experiences. But we also really disqualify ourselves based off the way that we feel. Like based off of our present. Gideon didn't feel ready for this. He didn't feel like he was equipped for this. And a lot of times we don't feel ready for what God's calling us to do. And because we don't feel ready, we don't feel like it's possible. We take our identity from our feelings instead of what he said. And, and here's the truth this morning. That if the men and women in the Bible, would have waited until they felt ready before they stepped into obedience, this book would be a lot shorter. If God was waiting for perfect people who were fully prepared and equipped to do the things that he called them to do, then we would have a really short book here because God is not looking for the people that are 100% ready and equipped, full with confidence, brimming with confidence that I'm going to do whatever God's called me to do. When we get to those places, that's great. But there are times where we just don't know. We're just not fully sure about what's going on, but we're still choosing to trust in him. This is part of this journey. This is part of, of what it means to continue to put our faith and trust in him instead of our own abilities. 
instead of what, what we can do. I was talking to Sal the other day, uh, a friend of mine, and he said, you know, God doesn't, I want to make sure I get this right. He doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. He doesn't wait till we are perfect before he uses us. He calls us, we say yes, and then he equips us to do what he's called us to do. We know people, and maybe this has been us at times, that are like, I'll go to church when I, when I get my life together. I'm going to go to church when everything feels like it's going well, and I feel like I've, I've really got things lined up the right way. Then, then I'll go to church, because then God's going to be happy enough with me to actually like, see me walk in the door. I'm like, no, this is not how this works. But that's human nature, isn't it? That's the way we think. I got to prepare myself to come, and we do have to prepare ourselves to come before God to a, to a certain level to recognize who he is, but he doesn't wait for perfection for us to come to him. We come to him in our brokenness. We come to him in our humanity. We come to him in the places of doubt and questioning because he's the only one that's going to bring us out of that place. And in the same way, he's the only one that is going to bring us to the place of being able to fulfill the identity that he's given us. It's not in our own ability. So we continue the story and we go into Judges chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. I just want to point something out here in verse 1. That I think it's a little bit ridiculous that Gideon's name has been changed to Jerubbabel. This was the one time, do you guys remember where this name came in? Last week it said that, that in, verse, in chapter 6, that Gideon goes and he tears down the altar of Baal. And then the village comes out to kill him. And then Gideon's father steps up and says, listen, if, if Baal is a god, let him deal with it himself. It, the, the name Jerubbabel, that means let Baal contend for himself. But I think it's crazy that Gideon's name was changed in that moment, and now the Bible is calling him Jerubbabel. First of all, it's a terrible name. I don't think anybody wants to be called that. And second of all, it was like this one-time thing. But when I look at it, I think that this name actually is pretty cool. Because when anybody would look to Gideon, they would see the man that challenged the enemy of God, and that the enemy wasn't able to do anything against him. He was the one that stood up for what God had called him to do. I think it would be pretty cool, actually. I don't want to be called Jerubbabel. But to be known as someone who stood up against the enemies of God because I had more faith in him than the circumstances or the things that I was going up against. You see, for Gideon, every day that went by was another day that Baal didn't have his revenge and another day that his identity in God was being solidified even more. This was once again a part of the journey for Gideon stepping into his identity. God's identity, not his own. So then we continue into chapter 7, and unfortunately for Gideon, things are going to get worse before they get better. He goes, and, and we saw at the end of last week that the, the Lord clothes him, the Spirit fills him and comes upon him, and the people who were going to kill him before are now the people following him into battle. The problem is that these are not skilled warriors. These are not people that you necessarily want to go into battle with. 
and there's only 32,000 of them. And they're going up against an enemy that can't be counted. 32,000 versus, let's say, a million people, just to give it a number. Not good odds, except for God, because God's like, well, that's still too many people. That's still way too many. We read verses 2 and 3. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. This is not just Gideon recognizing his identity. This is an opportunity for a lot of people to recognize their identity. But when given the opportunity, 22,000 of them said, nope, I don't think so. I'm going to go back and hide in my cave. It feels a lot more comfortable in there. It was a little rough at first, but I've gotten pretty satisfied and used to it in here. You go take care of this and let me know how it goes. So now there's, now there's like 10,000 remaining. Okay, so 10,000 remain, and then God says, no, still too many. This, this couple hundred to one, the odds are still not going to work for me. So take them down to the brook, and the ones that drink out of the, the river, and they look, and they lap up like a dog, and they're still looking. These are the ones I want you to use. So he narrows it down to the 300. So we see that there was this original number of 32,000, and now 31,700 of them have left and gone home or been sent home. You don't know what I think is amazing about this? Not just that Gideon was still there, but that there was 300 others that were still there with him. It's pretty amazing, actually. It's one thing to have one crazy person, but to have 300 others who are willing to stand by him and go into battle, there's something about stepping into your God-given identity that is going to attract others that are in pursuit of their God-given identity as well. We live in a time, we live in a day and age where we need individuals who are going to step up to step into their God-given identities and to, and to recognize and trust that God is going to bring the people around you that need to be there and that there are people waiting for you to step into your identity so that they can begin to step into their identity so they can follow you and follow God as you go into the incredible things that God wants to do. But instead, very often, there's a lot that are the 22,000 that leave right off the bat because we look at the circumstances of this world. We look at culture we look at the state of, of culture. We look at the morality issues. We look at the things that are being taught in our institutions. We, we look at all of these things and, and we think, how could we ever overcome these things? The odds are too high. The, the deck is stacked against us. The, the enemy's been able to roam free for all this time. We look at the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the drug use, the suicide rates. We look at all of these things and we think, how is it possible that we are going to make a change in this day? But God is waiting for the men and women who will step up and look to him instead of the size of the challenge to be used by him. Because when we do, God is going to put the people around us 
He's going to use us to be able to speak in faith, to be able to have the faith to see that God is going to do something amazing. And here's the other thing about this. Remember Gideon, the one that was originally in the wine press hiding, is now the one standing with the 300 with at least some level of confidence that he's going to go into this battle. Do we see how far Gideon has come from hiding in the wine press? He's on the journey, but he's starting to recognize something. He's starting to see something. He's not looking at the size of the Midianite army anymore. Now he's looking at the bigness of God. And I guarantee he's questioning this battle plan still. I guarantee he's not walking in there full of confidence like, this is great. But he's still there. He's still there. And then God says, okay, I want you to go down into the camp and I want you to see what they are saying. I want you to hear what they are saying. I want you to go now, but if you need to, go down to the camp. A young man from our church this last week, we were having a conversation, and he asked this question based off of last week. How do we know when we are starting to walk in the identity God has for us? How do we know that we're starting to, to, to see God's hand and, and we're starting to be transformed and, and realizing that identity? And I said something along these lines, and I, I think it holds true that when our actions and our words start to come into alignment with what God has put into our hearts, then we know that that identity is starting to come to the forefront. When, when we're willing to start to look at the things that God has placed inside of us, and then start to do something about it and start to speak something that, that there's some excitement there. It doesn't mean we don't have questions. It doesn't mean there's still, there, there isn't anxiety or fear surrounding it, but we're starting to move in that direction. And, and this is what Gideon does here. God says, I want you to go down to the enemy camp and I want you to hear what they're saying. And so in verses nine through 11, he goes down and, and God says to him, if you're afraid to go down to the camp with Pura, if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura. Okay, so if you're afraid, go down with Pura. He goes with Pura. We can see he's still afraid. Okay, he still, he still has some uncertainty, but he went down to them. Here's the thing too. When we are stepping into our identity, we are willing to go down to the battle. We're willing to start to go down to look at what's really going on. And, and sometimes the reason we don't experience victory in the battles of our life, it's because we've been too afraid to go to the battle, to face what's standing up against us, to face the challenges, to face the circumstances. We've been too afraid to look at them because we think we already know what it looks like. We think we know what the outcome is going to be. We've already predetermined in our heart what the result of this challenge is going to be. And so we don't go look at it. We, we look at other things. We, we medicate in some ways. We distract ourselves. But here's one of the things that we have to realize. When we're stepping into the identity that God has for us, it means that it's time to start to meet the challenges head on. It's time to start to look at what's really going on so that we can hear what God is saying about it instead of what we've been thinking about it. God says, go down to the camp and hear what they're saying. I, I want you to hear what they're, what they're talking about right now. So verses 12 through 14, it says, The Midianites and the Amalekites and all, all the people of the east 
lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread rolled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp. What if God was already securing your victory, but was just waiting for you to show up? What if the situation that you thought looked one way was actually in the process of being transformed for your benefit and God was just waiting for your obedience to say yes and to go meet it face to face and to actually start to look at what it was and to trust that God had an answer for you in the midst of it. Now, this is a a ridiculous interpretation of a dream of barley rolling into a camp. That doesn't matter. Because they heard, they, they had known something. And so Gideon hears this interpretation. And we're in this process, right? But, but he's just graduated to another level. Because he realizes that, that God is doing something. He hears them speaking. And so he goes back and he gets his men and he says, okay, we're going to go after this now. In verses 15 through 18, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. Let's not go too quickly through this story. As soon as he heard the interpretation, he worshiped. He didn't think to himself, okay, I've arrived. They know my name. He looked to God and he worshiped him. And then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. He divided the 300 man, men. He came up with a, another ridiculous battle plan that God had given him. Take the jars with the torches, take a trumpet, and I want you to break them when I tell you. And then you're going to say this statement for the Lord and for Gideon. For the Lord and for Gideon. Now, I don't see any place in this story where God tells him, tell the people for the Lord and for Gideon. This sounds a little sacrilegious, doesn't it? Like, for the Lord, yes, I get that part. But he says, for the Lord and for Gideon. There's a level of confidence that's brewing inside of Gideon now where he's recognizing that it's not just him who is stepping into this battle. That it is the Lord who is going with him and that the Lord has called him and has appointed him for this time and that he's going to take some ownership for it. This, this is more significant than I think we realize because it's at this moment that he recognizes, yes, God has called me to do something and he has assigned me to do something. And yes, I am accepting this assignment. This is for the Lord. This is because of who he is, but I'm a part of this process that I'm going to partner together with him. And when I partner together with him, I'm going to see the things that he's placed in my heart come into reality. It's time today that we start to take some ownership for the dreams that have been placed inside of us. It's time this morning that we start to take some ownership for the prophetic words that have been given to us. That have said, this is what I am speaking over you. This is what I am calling you to do. It's nice to have prophetic words and to hear them and and to believe that that God loves us and he's going to do something cool in our life one day. It's something else entirely 
to grab a hold of those words and to say, this is a promise from the Lord. This is what he's calling me into, and I'm going to grab this thing, and I'm going to take ownership of it. Is there anyone else in here besides me today that has received the word from the Lord that you're expecting and you're waiting to see it come to place, come to pass? We need to grab a hold of these things and to realize that God is absolutely doing something and that he is going to bring his good purpose into our lives.